The title of today's message is Words of Wisdom, and we are in the middle, we have been in the middle of a series on the book of Mark, and as I was praying about some things to share today on Graduation Sunday, uh, I thought about stepping away from Mark for the day and, and looking at this passage Often at the end of a book, when Paul is writing to the believers in that city, he deals with a lot of important issues that, have, that they're facing. Some of them are doctrinal issues, some of them are, are behavioral issues and things that they're doing or not doing that they should be doing. And often at the end of the book, he will put together a, a series of commands and exhortations that kind of summarize what he's been saying. It's kind of a, a parting word, so to speak. And he does that briefly with the Corinthians here in this passage. And so as we we think about graduation Sunday, as we think about our graduates getting ready to start off uh, in a a new chapter in life, and as we think about even our our own lives, this doesn't just apply to graduates, but it's for all of us, whether you're you're, uh, nearing the end of your schooling or nearing the end of your life, these exhortations apply to us as well. So the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verses 13 and 14, simply tells us this, Be watchful, stand firm in the faith, act like men, be strong, and let all that you do be done in love. First thing, if you're filling out the outline there, is the idea to be watchful, to be to be watchful. This word means to be alert, to be paying attention, to have your eyes open. Right now, I'm, I'm coaching uh, Little League along with, uh, with Moose and a, and, a, and a couple other guys, and, and uh, we're working with seven and eights, you know, and they've just gotten out of T-ball. And so they're really at the beginning of their, their baseball formation and their understanding of the game. And one of the most important things that we're trying to teach them is just Pay attention to what's going on. But of course, you know, it's, it's actually half the fun of watching a game at that age. You know, kids out in the outfield swatting flies and, and picking dandelions and throwing rocks and things. They're just, they're kind of, you know, if, if the play is not right in, in their neighborhood on every pitch, then, then you're starting to lose them. And so one of the things we're constantly tell them, telling them is to pay attention, to be watchful. And that's what Paul tells us here. To be alert, to, to have a constant state of readiness, this word means. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 6, he told the believers there, he says, Let us not sleep as others do, but let us keep awake and be sober. He recognized the important, importance for Christians to be alert in life. I remember when I... Uh, I was homeschooled up through eighth grade, and then when I went to public high school, I had a lot of things to learn. I had a lot of, a lot of street wisdom that I had to pick up. And one of the things that I learned that they, I don't know if this is common in every high school, if it was just particular to our high school, but a lot of the older guys, particularly the senior guys, is you're walking down the hallway. If they saw you just kind of not paying attention or looking at the ground, they would just run at you and slam you into a locker, just, just a, you know, like a body check, um, and so I discovered really fast as a freshman 
that I could not walk down the hallways with my head down. I had to be alert. I had to look and see who was coming. And you would certain you'd begin to pick up on the, on the guys that did that sort of thing, and you could dodge out of the way, or if you made eye contact early, they, they knew that the element of surprise was gone. You had to be alert, you had to pay attention. And you could get in trouble if, if you weren't. This reminded me of a story in the Old Testament. A man who we respect and revere, a very godly man, but who let his guard down and paid for it. I just read this story this week in my Bible reading of David and his son Absalom. You might remember that David and his relationship with his son Absalom were strained. Uh, David had another, another son who had, who had raped one of his daughters. It would have been a stepsister. And rather than deal with it, rather than confront the problem, David backed off. And so Absalom said, fine, I'm going to take matters into my own hands. And he, he killed this half-brother, and then he fled out of the, out of the country and, and, and lived off by himself. Eventually, David gave him permission to move back, but still did not, not resume a relationship. And so Absalom was in the city and lived nearby, but, but David never talked about the issues and, 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 and confronted the problems of his son who had murdered one of his other sons. And so Absalom began to build relationships with people and get to know people. He would sit by the gate, and, and pretty soon he became a pretty popular guy in the community. And David had not been paying attention very clearly to what was happening right under his nose. And eventually, Absalom was able to mount a revolt to try to take over the, the throne. And David and his, 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 his band of followers had to flee the city. And for a while, Absalom ruled because David had let his guard down. He hadn't paid attention to what was going on in his own family and in his own city. Eventually, God gave him the throne back and... And his son was defeated and broke David's heart. We need to be watchful in our lives. What do you think Paul's talking about? What do we need to be watchful for? I just wrote down three things. We need to be watchful for the return of Christ. Over and over and over in the New Testament, we're told to be alert, be ready. He could come back at any moment. That's a source of great joy for believers to know that our Savior could return at any moment. But it's also a source, a reminder for us to be on guard, that we should live every day like it could be our last here on this planet. We should live with a sense of urgency at, at, at getting the gospel out. Secondly, we need to be watchful because of Satan and, and the temptations he brings our way. And the, and the world around us is full of temptations as well. The, the Bible tells us that Satan is prowling around like a lion looking for whom he may devour. That means he is looking for ways to trip us up, to cause us to fall into sin. When we march outside of this, this building today, we are not marching out into neutral territory. We're not walking into a peace zone, a ceasefire area. We're walking into a battlefield Satan would love nothing more than to see all of us fall flat on our faces and to draw us into temptation. Thirdly, we need to be on the watch for opportunities to share Christ. Some of us just go throughout our day without thinking of any ways of trying to walk through an open door to, to share a testimony, to pray with somebody who's in need, and to share our faith 
in a bold and clear way. So the first thought that we have from this passage is to be watchful. Secondly, we need to stand firm. We need to stand firm. Paul says to the Corinthians that they're to be watchful and that they're to, to, to stand firm in their faith. That means they're to be firmly convicted, firmly committed in their conviction or beliefs. Their, their roots should go down deep. I remember when I played uh, junior high football, I, I, I'd never played football other than in the backyard with my brothers and friends, and so I, I went out and, and played for the first time in seventh grade football, and I remember that feeling, uh, they put me on the line, and I remember that feeling the first time that the offensive lineman came at me and, and hit me, and all of a sudden I was looking up at the bl- beautiful blue sky that day. And I realized that one of the things I needed to develop in a hurry was a good, solid stance to help make me ready and prepare me for the hits that were coming my way. I had to to be able to stand my ground. And in the Christian faith, it's very similar. We're in a hostile environment. You can see it on the news. Many of you have experienced it personally. Uh, we're We're in a culture and in a place that is not for the most part, open and welcoming to Christians anymore. Depending on where you live in the country, it varies to different degrees. More and more, this world is becoming hostile to Christ. And as you go out, your faith is going to be challenged. And and, and graduates, if you're heading off to college, you're heading out into the workforce, you you need to be ready. You need to be armed. You need to be prepared to defend your faith. Be prepared to stand firm. It's no fun to have your faith assaulted. It's no fun to be mocked or ridiculed for your faith. But that happens. We need to be able to be at a place where we're not going to be shaken. Where we're not going to be moved. And you may have people around you who are are shedding their beliefs and making compromises on what the Word of God clearly teaches, don't let that be you. Be willing to take a stand for things like moral purity. You may already know what it's like to be ridiculed and and picked on for taking a stance to, to abstain from sex outside of marriage. It's not an easy stance to take. Be willing to take a stand for biblical conviction. There are things in this book you may have noticed that are not really popular in our culture. And when we say, thus says the Lord, when we, when we look at the Word of God, proclaim the Word of God, live the Word of God, we're going to get pushback. It's inevitable. Jesus promised it. We need to be committed to our faith. In 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 14 and 15, Paul says, To this God called you through our gospel, so that you may ob- obtain the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. So then, brothers, stand firm and hold to the traditions that you were taught by us, either by our spoken word or by our letter. As believers, we need to hold fast to what God's word says. And that implies that, that we know it, that we're diving in to learn it. I know that we're busy. I know that there's a lot that comes at us. But we need to be committed to knowing and understanding the things of God. Number three in this list that Paul is rattling off for us, we see be watchful, 
Stand firm in the faith. And thirdly, act like men. I wrote down, act with maturity. Act with maturity. This is an interesting word. It, it's only used once in the, in the entire New Testament. It means to conduct yourself in a courageous way. Or to be manly. Be bold. To be courageous. The word may have some connotations that are specifically, specifically directed towards men, but the word is broad enough to, to, for us to realize that it encompasses everyone. And he's saying, hey, act like a grown-up. Act like a grown-up, mature Christian. Throughout this letter, Paul has been repeatedly telling the Corinthians To stop acting like children. He literally tells them that in multiple places. Hey, you're acting like little kids. You're fighting like little children. Your behavior is really, really immature. Stop it. Turn away from that behavior and act like a mature believer. It doesn't matter how long we've been a, a Christian. There are times when we act immaturely, but that should not become a pattern in our life. That shouldn't become the the behavioral pattern that people look at and say, oh yeah, they've, they've been in church all their life, but they're still a spiritual infant. Paul chided them in this book. He said, I, I should be feeding you meat, but you know what? You're still on the bottle. You're still getting milk when you should be big enough to chew good a good piece of steak I'm still feeding you just the bare basics. And that, I say that to your shame. He, he, doesn't, he doesn't laud that or celebrate that at all. He reminds them that as they, as they spend time with Jesus, they're supposed to mature. And same is true of us. You know, our culture today celebrates immaturity by the type of entertainment that's out there, even just by, by, by permitting uh, young men and women to prolong their adolescence as long as possible. Uh, I read in a book uh, about a term called a ban. Uh, it's a hybrid between both a boy and a man. It's a, it's a, a man by age, boy by maturity. He's a juvenile, and there's become an entire niche created for him to continue to celebrate the lust of his youth. youth. The, when I, one thing I read about this said the accompanying culture not only tolerates this behavior, but encourages it and endorses it. Magazines like Maxim or movies like Wedding Crashers pro, uh, preach to this type of lifestyle. This kind of male is everywhere, including church and even frighteningly in vocational ministry. The ban may be a frightening reality in the church, but he is best, he's the best thing that ever happened to the video game industry. I read this stat here. Almost half, about 48% of American males between the ages of 18 and 34 play video games every day for almost three hours a day. The average video game buyer is 37 years old. In 2005, 95% of computer game buyers and 84% of console game buyers were over the age of 18. 
Uh, that's just one symptom of a culture that we live in that says you can be immature as long as you want. Stay and mooch off mom and dad as long as you want. Stay and, and, and ignore the responsibilities that a that, uh, hundred years ago people were assuming at the age of 16. You can wait till the age of 30 now and do that. And I pick on primarily guys, but I'd realize that that's not the only, that's not the only situation here. Both men and women in our culture are taking longer to grow up and be mature because they want to keep playing longer. They want to keep feeding the lust of their youth longer. They want to explore the world and find themselves and all that stuff. I don't see that category in Scripture. I see a category in a passage like this that tells us to be mature, to grow up, to be faithful, to get plugged into ministry, to stop having people do things that, for you that you should be doing for yourselves. Paul realizes here that that was a danger with the Corinthian church, that they needed to grow up. They needed to be mature. I wonder today where you would fall on that spectrum. And I think one of the good, good litmus tests for that is asking yourself, do I, do I have anything? Am I at a point in my life where I can pass something off? To somebody else? Do I have anybody in my life that I could disciple? Do I have anything that, any words of wisdom that I could speak? Or am I still the person that's, that's taking, taking, taking because I'm still an immature believer? Or have I gotten to that point in my life where there's some maturity, where God's been able to work a little bit? He knows I'm not perfect, He knows I have a long way to go, but I have something to impart, I have something to share, I have something to teach. There's something I could model and be an example of. Fourthly, in this, in this string of exhortations, and these are, these are all commands, they're all in the imperative tense, except for this one. Number four, be strong. Be strong. The actual wording in the text is, is to be strengthened. That is, the, the, the reason that it's not a, a, an imperative is it's, it's in the passive. It's, it's, uh, well, it's still a command. It's still in the imperative. But it's, rather than being an active verb, it's a passive. It's, it is receive strength. It's not be strong in and of yourself, but be strong because you're receiving this strength from the Lord. Be, uh, Ephesians 6.10 says, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of His might. 2 Timothy 2.1 says, You then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. We all need strength. I'm not talking about physical strength, but there are parallels. Uh, maybe you've spent a long day at work, or maybe you've gone to the gym, and you realize that towards the end of your workout, towards the end of your workday, you, you're beginning to get physically drained. Your strength is beginning to wane because you've been working all day long and you need a point where you can stop and rest your muscles. In the Christian life, we realize sometimes that, that our strength gets drained. You may be parenting, you may be grandparenting, you may be laboring for the Lord, praying your socks off for people, and you realize at some point you get to a point where you're fatigued, you're worn out. Paul knows that we need to, to replenish our strength, and that has to come from the Lord. We can go for a while in our own strength. We can run on fumes for a little bit, but eventually we, we reach the end of ourselves. And some of us have been at that place. We need to go to a place where we can drink deep of the grace of God and, and be strengthened by His grace, like Paul said in 2 Timothy. 
And so like the verse that was mentioned in the video, Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. We're not able to do them by ourselves. I'm not able to share Christ with that belligerent co-worker by myself. I'm not able to, to write a lesson plan for Sunday school or be able to impart my faith to my children by myself. I'm not able to use my gifts in the church and serve by myself, but through Him who strengthens me. This verse is often misapplied of Philippians 4.13. In the very context that Paul uses it, he's talking about suffering for the gospel. And he's talking about times of going without food and being and, and starving to death and, and, and being without. He's writing this letter from prison, for goodness sakes. In the context of which he's saying this, is he's saying, I can endure this suffering through the one who strengthens me. I, I know I can make it because of his strength and not my own. God wants you today to be strong in your faith. Not strong in and of yourself, but strong from His power, going to Him and casting yourself before Him and saying, God, I don't have what it takes. I I can't make it today. I can't make it through this mission You've called me to. But I believe that strength comes from You. And I'm, I'm casting myself before You, asking for Your grace in my life. This strength comes from the Lord. And then finally, verse 14, He says, Let all that you do be done in love. Let all that you do Today, be done in love. All of these things that he's talking about, being watchful, being mature, standing firm in your faith, being strong in the Lord, all of that, as you seek to do that in the context of other people, it should all be done in love. You know, this was another area that the Corinthians were really struggling with. In fact, the Apostle Paul, just a couple chapters ago, devoted a, a whole chapter to this idea of love. We, we call it the love chapter, 1 Corinthians 13. And Paul says, listen, you guys need to understand what God's love is like. You need to understand what my Heavenly Father's love for you is like. And you need to have that love by His grace toward one another. And so he explained to them. But he said, you know, at the outset of that chapter, I could have all prophetic powers. I could understand all mysteries and have all knowledge and have all faith so as to even move mountains. But if I have not love, I am what? Nothing. If I give away all that I have, if I deliver my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. Now, this is really profound. This is Apostle Paul, the the greatest missionary, the the man who wrote 13 or 14 books of the New Testament, one of the great pillars and foundations of the church. And he says, all this stuff I've done, I could have the greatest gifts in all the world. I could be the most eloquent speaker. I could be the most voluminous writer. I could be the wisest sage you've ever heard of. But if I don't do it with love, it's nothing. And you could be plugged into any and every ministry, serving like crazy in church. You could be preaching the gospel. You could be counseling people and and helping people. You could be serving people. But if, if it's not done with love, he says, it's nothing. It's nothing. These Corinthian believers, just as us... we, we 
They needed to hear it. They needed to hear it. They struggled with being tolerant of things that they should have been intolerant of. And they struggled with being strict and harsh in areas where they should have been gentle. They, they, they struggled with the right ways to apply love. In our culture, we find the same things. Sometimes we think it's loving just to let a person go in their behavior. To say, oh, that's fine, that's okay, we're all just, we're all just trying to find our way, that's alright. And, and we've, we've let them go, whether, when the loving thing would have been to do to, to come alongside them and say, stop it. Stop going the way you're going. Don't live this way. Don't walk down this path. We, we, we confuse tolerance with love. And that's wrong. And we get it the other way sometimes. Sometimes we think we've got to be tough and strict and harsh. And anytime someone steps out of the line, we're, we're there to give them a swift kick in the pants to get them back in line. And, and there's no grace or gentleness. We're all truth, but there's no love. We're all about, about nitpicking and, 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 and making sure that people fall in line, but there's no gentleness, no love in the process. One writer said it's significant that this command, do everything in love, follows the exhortations to manliness and strength. In manliness, Paul is not looking for aggressiveness or self-assertion, but the strength that shows itself in love. As in chapter 13, he is concerned with the all-pervading nature of Christian love. Nothing we do is outside its scope. We should not overlook the significance, uh, the significance of love. Love is more than an accompaniment of Christ- Christian actions. It is the very atmosphere in which the Christian lives and moves and has his being. You know, it's fitting that this string of exhortation ends with the reminder to love. Because it's the love of Christ that makes any of these things that we're commanded to do possible. Paul said in another passage, the love of Christ compels me. You see, we couldn't do any of this if we didn't know the most supreme, most beautiful picture of love that humanity has ever seen. And that is God sending His one and only Son to this earth to die for sinful man. To be the substitute for those who had rebelled against God and were living in sin. It's the love of Christ that makes any of this possible. I just want to share with you these thoughts from 1 Corinthians 16. These words of wisdom, these exhortations from the Apostle Paul. So whether you're just finishing up high school and just getting ready to, to embark on life's journey, or whether, whether maybe you're at the, at the tail end of life's journey, these exhortations are for you to be watchful, to be alert, be on the lookout, to stand firm in your faith, to act with maturity, to be strong in the Lord, but above all, let all that you do Be done with love. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we close the services today, as we think about graduation today and celebrating our graduates, we ask that your word would stay close to our hearts and minds, that we would be challenged by the truths of Scripture, to be alert, to be watchful, 
be faithful to you, God, by standing firm in our faith. God, I know that the, these young people, and, and, and frankly, all of us in this room, find challenges to our faith on a regular basis. Oh, God, let us, let us dig deep roots down so that we might drink deep of your grace and your strength and be able to stand firm. May we be people who love one another as you have called us to. And it's in Jesus' name we pray these things. Amen. Now may the, our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God our Father who loved us and gave us eternal comfort and good hope through grace, comfort your hearts and establish them in every good work and word. God bless you. You're dismissed.